This is the companion discussion to Ruth, Chapter 1. I'm Joshua Savage, producer of the Book of Ruth. I'm joined in these episodes by Elijah DeYoung, recent graduate of Mid-America Reformed Seminary. Elijah has served as a pastoral intern at Orthodox Presbyterian Churches in Joliet, Illinois, and Concho, Arizona. He is currently serving as a year-long intern at the OPC Church in Grants Pass, Oregon. In these chapter-by-chapter discussions, Elijah and I will discuss the narrative and theology of the Book of Ruth. In this episode, we explore why Naomi and Elimelech's journey to Moab is more than meets the eye, Ruth's conversion, the importance of the Hebrew word shuv, and how Naomi's emptiness will lead to overflowing. Thanks for joining me, Elijah. Uh, chapter one, a lot goes on in chapter one. We talked a little bit about this uh, in the overview, but we talked about how the narrative of Ruth is set up in the time of the judges and in those kind of you know, maybe ominous words in, in the last chapters of judges. In those days, there were no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We talked about how Elimelech and his family, um, in essence, did not trust God during this famine that, that was going on in the land. And so they trusted to themselves. They went out from the promised land and they went to the land of Moab. And so I would like to start with what is the big deal <laughs> with Moab and applicably, what is the big deal with marrying a Moabite? Yeah. So in. Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 through 6, it says, No Ammonite nor Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor uh, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord, your lo- your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. So you really, I mean, here you have all sorts of history brought in, you know, of course the Exodus big picture, and then you have Balaam, you know, being turned from a, a curse to a blessing. And that's really what happened to Ruth in this book. She's, She's being turned from what is cursed to what is a a significant supreme blessing to God's people. It's so tempting to play the what if game, you know, like what if Ruth was not right there to meet, you know, the son of a limelight and marry him. Would we have the line of Christ? Obviously, you know, we would, but with different people, but uh, Okay, so that's all. That's all like the the what if game because it's all God's providence. It's all God's sovereign plan. It's perfect the way He did it. That's exactly how He wanted it. So there really is no other way. Um, and yeah, so you see this this conflict, of course, when Elimelech and his family end up in Moab, where there's bread, where there's food, happenstance, <laughs> happenstance. We'll come back to that. <laughs> yes. And, and they end up marrying women who are available. And of course, you know, you have, you know, you've got by earthly 
standards, a 50-50 chance of, of marrying a, a good girl. But in, in reality, you know, God knew exactly which one, Orpah or Ruth, would be the one that he would bring into the line of Christ that he would use so powerfully. And it was Ruth. Um, so you have this Moabitess lady who shouldn't be allowed to marry in, who shouldn't ever be able to enter into the covenant community. But she's brought in by these wonderful, by the hunger of God's people, by the rebellion of God's people, by the, the running away of Elimelech and Naomi. She's brought in where, you know, like as not, if they had not come along, she would have stayed in Moab. She would have stayed out of the covenant. And it, 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 you have to be careful of doing hypotheticals, but I do think it's interesting that whether or not Elimelech, his two sons, are strong believers or not, I mean, it clearly seems like they're they're weak in this time for 10 years. The fact that Limelech um, lets his sons, Malin and Chilean, marry women who are clearly not converted. But it, it does bring up an interesting thing of God's providence and salvation, because we are not told that Naomi spent all this time trying to convert Ruth and Orpah. Um, yeah. That's unsaid. And instead, there's something hidden going on in Ruth's heart that she makes this conversion um, this, this, this conversion statement in, in, the, in the middle of chapter one. I think it also is part of that other bigger narrative in the Old Testament where God promises to bring in the Gentiles, and especially with, with Isaiah, there's so many passages in Isaiah to open the eyes of the blind, uh, to, be, to bring justice to the nations, all those sorts of things. And so it's very significant that, that Ruth does convert. She's, she's not holding on to to anything of this false religion. She is completely a, yes. a proselyte uh, to, to, uh, to the, the God of Israel. And so that brings us to that conversion. And, and there's, uh, we referenced this idea of the, the chiasm um, in, the, in the overview of the book, but uh, I think Sinclair Ferguson really helpfully uh, describes it as a turning point. So there's a, an extended quotation from his book, Faithful God, but I think it will probably help us to get into the, the turning point of chapter one. So Ferguson writes, one of the characteristics of Old Testament narrative, indeed of any good story, is that it has a center point, which is often the turning point. That is why in Hebrew narratives, the most important thing often lies at the center of a passage or even of a single verse. We see this in many of the Psalms. At the beginning of the Psalm, the writer is going down into difficulties, doubts, even despair. But then the Psalm ends with his spirits lifted up and his heart encouraged. The key to interpreting the change is to notice what lies at the center of the Psalm, where the turning point comes and to observe what causes it. So he says, the same is true of this story, Ruth as a whole, but also chapter one. It begins and ends in Bethlehem, but the center point lies in what takes place between Moab and Bethlehem. This is a turning point geographically and also spiritually. We might even say it is the conversion point. And he's talking there of, of, uh, of Ruth. And so um, if we kind of look at at Ruth's conversion, she, she says, basically, um, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. So talk yeah. a little bit about this conversion. Um, this is probably one of the most beautiful uh, conversion narratives in the Old Testament. What, what's going on here? Yeah. Well, I, ironically, 
people use this as they never use this as conversion. They always use this as like, this is my oath to you on my, on my wedding day. You're you know, like, it's a wet, it's often used as a wedding vow almost, you know, and people preach on this passage so often in weddings, but it's really not. It's, <laughs> I'm sorry if, if, you know, if people have heard this at, at weddings, but this is all about Ruth's relationship with uh, God, first and foremost. And she's expressing this to Naomi. We don't know when, like, you know, pinpoint the exact moment where Ruth was was converted, where her heart was changed by the Spirit. We don't know that. But this is where we have the all-in moment, where she says, you know what, Naomi, you've tried. You've tried to get me to go home. It's almost like you don't want me here. You know, Naomi goes through three different ways of saying, oh, you know, you don't want to come. Here's all the logic. Here's all the rationale. You, you really should just stay where you are. But Ruth says, no, this is who I am. This is who God has made me. And I can, it's like Martin Luther, you know, here I stand, I can do no other. Uh, she just says, all in, your God is my God. So I am going to follow you to the ends of the earth. And it is beautiful because she's not even really making this, she's not saying so much, you know, Naomi, you are my all. I'm following you to the ends of the earth. She's saying, God is my all. And then watch that. Watch how that unfolds later on when Naomi gives this weird, bizarre advice. And Ruth says, okay. And she follows the, and I'm, I'm not going to spoil, she follows, <laughs> she follows part of Naomi's counsel, but then she really stays true to God. Now, this is as close as we get to a conversion point, and really it's, it's better than any, you know, internal struggle she might be having it's the external saying this is what god has made me and i have to follow him yes and i think it's fascinating how naomi is giving ruth every opportunity to to leave she is saying turn back (laughs) turn back my daughter orpa does yeah um and naomi keeps pressing but once ruth says where you die, I will die. Your God shall be my God. Um, I love the, the language of when, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her, um, which was, yeah. I'm going to stop dissuading you. And Sinclair Ferguson mentions this, and, and you knowing the language is probably way better, but he mentions that there's a verb that's used in chapter one in the Hebrew, which is called shuv, and it's used over and over again, and it's translated mostly by the word return or gone back or turned back or brought back. And he says that the constant repetition of this particular verb is significant because it's not, the, it's not only the Hebrew word for return, but it is the Old Testament's main word for turning back to God's covenant grace and mercy for repentance and for conversion. So can you tell us a little bit more about shuv? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Shuv is, is one of those fascinating things that, again, people overlook because it pops up so often. You do a, an Old Testament search, it's going to be thousands of, of instances, you know, and, and so oftentimes it flies under the radar. Everybody focuses on the loving kindness and the faithfulness, you know, the hesed. Um, but Shuv is just as powerful because Shuv is not, uh, Shuv is not just like a, um, a repent. Uh, it's not just like a, a they they stopped verb. 
it has this this idea where it's just a, a counter uh, a turn around and run towards God. And of course, we know that that's God bringing His people back. So when this is used, you know, my eyes light up and my ears perk up and I, I just think, okay, so what is, you know, what are they doing here? What is this return? Obviously the biggest return is uh, the return from the Exodus, you know, in Egypt, the return from Egypt to the land. Um, and of course, yes, later the return from exile as well. Um, but it always comes after returning to God. It always comes after God pulls his people's attention back to him. And so it's not just, it's not just like, Oh, course correction. This is God's faithfulness applied to his people and his reeling them back in, kicking and screaming. Um, but again, and then it comes up subtly here, you know, beautifully. So yeah, like he says, uh, you know, turn back, you know, just it can be used negatively, <laughs> but it's, it's also used uh, in order to to show the the heart condition. Okay, so God's people have been sinned. They've been running away from them. They've been going down into the land of, of Moab. But now they turn back. Now they they turn back to him even. And of course, we'll see with, with Naomi, this is not a, a very strong spiritual turning back, of course. This is her coming back and still being bitter. Her heart's still needing to be turned back to God. And we'll see that later, I think. Yes. And, and there's so many things I think that, that resonate with that. The, the least, not the least of which would be the return of the prodigal son um, mm. going yeah. back to where he came from. Um, but if, in the turning point, it's, it, it, it's so fascinating to think about that if Ruth had turned back, Naomi would have come back alone She's too old, as she says herself, I'm too old to have a husband. I'm too old to have heirs. The line of Elimelech would have vanished. Um, and of course, this is the line of Christ, which is also interesting. And Naomi, as, as you're saying, when she comes back, um, she has this really heart-rending speech where she says, full, I went out and empty Yahweh yeah. or God has brought me back again. Um, and just to, to think of the amount of grief and hardship, obviously a famine is nothing to scoff at, but to lose your husband, to lose both of your sons, uh, she's coming back completely empty. And so let's talk just very briefly as we close then uh, about why does she say, call me Mara? Oh, yes. So, so good. Thank you for bringing that out. Uh, it's okay. So, I I read this or I, I heard it read when I was uh, a young fella, still am. But uh, <laughs> when I was a kid, I was like, "Wow, she's so bitter. She's so just grumpy all the time." Don't call me Mara, like, or don't don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, like. Um, fascinating though, in in Naomi's statement here, we see her heart. You know, earlier in the chapter, she follows Elimelech, maybe hand in hand, maybe dragging her feet, who knows, but she follows Elimelech, her husband. And there we see this, this decision that she made. And we don't know whether she was doing this out of rebellion and sin or just submission to her husband. But when we see Elimelech and Malon and Kilion die, her, 
uh, her subtext comes out and her she we see exactly what's going on inside her in her head and she says don't call me naomi call me mara for the almighty has dealt very bitterly with me who's at fault there who's at fault it's totally her she's uh, it's totally her but like she says the almighty has done this Mm. she says then in the next verse so that's one she says i went away full and the lord has brought me back empty who's the actor it's god okay so you're like oh maybe she's she's admitting that god is in control of her life all right you know maybe you're maybe you're thinking oh this is a turning point for her but then she says why call me naomi when the lord has testified against me and the almighty has brought calamity on me everything is an accusation of God saying, this is what God has done to me. The closest she gets to admitting any sort of guilt is when she says the Lord has testified against me. And, and really even that, you know, it's literally, he's, he's answered. He's answered to me against me. Um, (laughs) She's really just saying, how could God do this to me? I am bitter because of God. I went away full. I had a husband, two sons. I was on the top of my game. And then God brought me down. God brought me low. And if you really think about it, that's where our minds go when we're at our very lowest point. Usually, like Naomi is, I resonate so often with Naomi because I think that's where my mind goes right away. Usually, my sinful nature just says, blame God. You know, what, what have I ever done to deserve this? And then you start thinking about your sin, you, you know, even if it's just implicit guilt, even if, you just, if it's just following somebody into sin. Still, you're, you're defying God's law. You're not raising your voice. You're not going on the record as, a, as saying, you know, Moab is not the place to go. Um, so we see this whole idea of, of empty, uh, going out full and coming back empty. And her heart is not empty. Her heart is full of anger towards God. And, and she blames God for what is happening. And that's going to definitely keep coming back. And God's going to keep working on that throughout the rest of the book. Yeah. And I think it's very, it's very telling. And it's also a very true thing. One thing that strikes me about the word and the Old Testament and these examples, and, and you can even think about in Hebrews when we have this, you know, hall of fame of faith, but all of these people are real people. Um, and God's working in our hearts through his spirit sometimes leads us through the greatest afflictions from what we think is our fullness. Mm into emptiness so that God can fill us once again. And I think Naomi had no possible way of seeing what's going to happen in chapter two. The Book of Ruth is read by Greg Ball, cover design by Seth Haller, music by Scott Buckley, You can hear more of his amazing music at scottbuckley.com.au. The Book of Ruth and this podcast are produced by me, Josh Savage. To listen to our recording or read our translation of all four chapters of Ruth, visit our ReadyMag site, linked in the show notes below. Subscribe to our feed on iTunes Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts.